Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, so you guys know if you've listened long enough to the show or to this podcast, we're the huge Howard Stern fan. I was not a fan of the show so much anymore, but more the heyday. It's the beauty of Stern is they actually have two channels now. They have the channel that gives you the, 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 the Howard Stern of today, but then they give you the real Howard Stern, the one I grew up with. And the big part of that, that channel is Jackie Marling. He was the head writer, as he called himself, on the show for years and years and years and years. Then he left, and it was ugly, and then he came back a little bit again when serious and then gone. Uh, and he's been sort of outside the stern world, but I loved Jackie. I was a huge Jackie Martinlink fan, and uh, it took a while we got him to come on the podcast. He talks about a lot of stuff. He talks about stern of today, talks about what it was like back then, talks about his career uh, in comedy, and if you're a Howard Stern fan, a diehard Howard Stern aficionado, I think this one's a must-listen, just like the Artie Lang one is as well. If you haven't listened to that yet, go back and listen to it. Jackie Martling on Enough About Me. So how many nights uh, a year now do, would you say you do stand-up? Is it, is it every weekend, a couple days a week? How busy you know, are you it's, still? It's, it floats. It floats because um, sometimes I'll go like a week or two without working, but like I'm, I'm working both nights this weekend, both yeah. nights the following weekend, I work both nights last weekend. You know, I'm, I'm basically at the point where I say yes before the phone rings. <laughs> <laughs> and you still, I mean, do you like it as much as you liked it 30 years ago? <clears throat> you know what? Probably even more. It's really weird. Um, you know, like last, uh, a couple months ago, I, I worked for 2,500 people at Dolene's Arena, and then three nights later, I worked for 80 people in New Jersey. And I'm like, I enjoy them equally. It's, you know, you just enjoy it. You know, it's, I can't, I don't do two shows in a night anymore because that's like telling somebody you got to have sex with a woman twice in a row. It spoils both of them. <laughs> you know, well, but, uh, yeah, but I I do I love it I, and I do a lot of podcasts. I did Artie Lang's podcast last night. And yep. We just have such a good time, you know. What, did you? Would you? Were you ever a guy? So obviously, I'm a huge Stern fan. I've had Artie on this podcast. I talk about Stern on our show a lot. Did you? And I, I was a huge fan when you were on the show. Did you ever move out in L.A.? Were you ever a guy who went out there and try? Were you always a, a New York comedian? What I was, there was. Um, there was no such thing as comedy on Long Island. And when I quit music in 1978, we started doing comedy on Long Island, and I started making my own albums. And I was never a guy that even went into New York City. You know, I never went and did Catch a Rising Star and the comic strip and all those. I went to the comic strip just long enough to pass the audition. I went to Catch a Rising Star just to go up and be frightened to death. But for the most part, I produced shows on Long Island and then ran comedy clubs on Long Island. And put out my own albums, and then Howard got a hold of my albums, and we went to Pluto. So, so, so I never even played the game in New York City, let alone Los Angeles. What years know? are we? What years are we talking about though? When you're starting comedy out in Long Island, do that like early '80s, late '70s? 19, 1979. There was okay. no such thing as comedy clubs, and we did a comedy show at a restaurant that was owned by Jerry Cooney, the boxer, the fighter, owned yeah. by his brother. And it was so successful, it, it blossomed into the East Side Comedy Club. And then like a year later, they asked me to open Governor's Comedy Shop in Levittown, which is still going. 
And along the way, I was producing shows and, and making my own records. And in 1982, I sent my three records to this guy that was coming to New York City that they said was very wild. And he loved my albums and asked me to come join them on the air. And then I stuck to him like uh, bubble gum to somebody's foot. So you weren't around like the other Long Island comedians at that time, like, say, Eddie Murphy or Jerry Seinfeld? Oh, yeah, no, or... He started when, when I started. Right. The reason we started our own comedy show at the restaurant is because we worked at a place called Richard M. Dixon's White House Inn. And it was Eddie Murphy, Bob Nelson, Rob Bartlett, uh, and me and Richie Minervini and... Uh, and we were all working these, these crap hole gigs. In fact, when I broke up with my band, I used to play by myself with my guitar and my amplifier and bars. And there was no place to go on stage. So those guys used to come to my, my guitar gigs, like Eddie Murphy and Bob Nelson, because they could get up and do five or ten minutes at my shows. And we had such a good time. You know, it was, it was so fledgling. And then, of course, Eddie took off like, like a rocket, like, you know, Zoom. But, uh, oh, it's funny. Yeah, like Eddie came up to me one day and said, uh, Jack, you have a comedy album. I want to have a comedy album. And I said, I'm sorry, Eddie. I'm too busy. <laughs> <laughs> Good move. Shrewd. Shrewd. Famous what, last words. When, so, do you, when do you start writing for Rodney Dangerfield? How does that happen? That is the greatest story. I, you know, I got a book coming out in about uh, six or eight months. Really? But what happened was it, it, the reason I got to write for Rodney was because a friend of mine told me a lie. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. The guy Richie Minervini, who uh -huh. was, uh, floats in and out of my life all along. Now he's an opening. He's open act for opening act for Kevin James and and mm -hmm. best friends with him. And he's in all his movies. Me and Richie are the ones that started the show at this place, Cinnamon, and he became the owner of the East Side Comedy Club. And he's an icon in Long Island comedy. But when we were just starting out, you know, we were all struggling. We were all so full of crap. And he walked in one day, one night I was living at my grandmother's house after she died. And, and so he was crashing with me and he came in and he said, oh, man, I went on a danger field tonight. And Rodney loved me and he told me he's going to put me on TV, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, holy mackerel. So I sat down and went through all my old jokes and translated, you know, my jokes, the ones I thought would fit Rodney into Rodney's voice. And I typed up six pages. And then when Richie came home the next night, I said, Richie, you know, give these pages to your friend Rodney Dangerfield. And he said, oh, man, uh, you know, I, I went there. I didn't get on stage, and Rodney wasn't there. He, he had totally made up the whole thing. <laughs> All bullshit? All bullshit. And he said to me, but you know what? He said, I really was there. And he, I swear to God, I swear, he hands me a matchbook that said Dangerfields. And, you know, the classic... Uh, caricature of Rodney pulling on his tie oh, and yeah, yeah. the address, and I had already typed up the pages, and I put the pages in an envelope and put Rodney Dangerfield with the address of the club and just mailed it. I had nothing to lose. Right. And two days later, the phone rings, and, this, uh, and I, I'm at my grandmother's house. She had died. Nobody had the number. So there was nobody calling. Her friends were all dead, and if the phone rang, it was very weird. But of course I had put that phone number in the letter. So the phone rings. I'm with my girlfriend having lunch, and, and I answer the phone. Hello. I said, who is this? And he said, it's Rodney. And I said, Rodney who? And he says, I knew you were funny. I knew you were friggin' funny. I could tell <laughs> right. right away you're funny. You know? right, and then right. my girlfriend says, who is it? I said, it's Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> and she said, bullcrap. Who is it, Richie? I said, it's Rodney. He said, yeah, a lot of funny stuff here. A lot of funny stuff here. And I wound up going to – I wound up giving him – the best joke he said that he ever had it was an old southern expression that somebody called me up in the middle of the night and told me and it, it was 
just the greatest line, and it fit him like a, like a glove. And he always said, yeah, it's the funniest joke I ever had, you know? And it was the two-bagger joke. Right. Are you familiar with that? Oh, I, well, I, I'm familiar because I remember the great Rodney appearance on the Stern Show with you guys. Oh, and that whole story. I explained right. that whole story in right. my book because that was, that was such a fabrication. It was the greatest really? radio in really? the world. Oh, my God. Oh, my what, God. What do you mean? You know, like, the concept, what? If, if you owe somebody $200 right. and, he, and he mows lawns for $100 a week, you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's it's that it's simple barter. You right. know, and I, I he bought jokes for fifty dollars a piece. You know, the whole thing is yeah. explained. But it was so funny because I had written to him and asked him to borrow another two thousand dollars, and he <laughs> never even responded to my letter. And by the time we got done with that radio show, Howard had me owing him three thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, but you wrote, but he called me up, and I went to see him at Westbury, and I wound yeah. up going on the road with him, and it it was just. And it was all—it all came out of a lie. <laughs> but it's but 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 it is funny though. Like the way you mentioned, it, you wrote obviously jokes. You, you you know when you when you write jokes for Stern, you understood the way he talked. A joke like that for Rodney Dangerfield, the the, the two bag joke, that doesn't work for say Richard Lewis. Like you have to write the joke for the right comedian. You know, comedy writing is t- you know everything is old. I'm a I'm a student of comedy, believe it or not, and I I no more jokes than anybody in the world. And there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, if you think you can write something about sex or duty or farts or puking that hasn't been said since the time of Adam and Eve, that forget about the egotism of thinking that, you know. And, but you got to hear it in his voice, like yeah, like a lot of the things I wrote for Howard to say wouldn't have been funny coming from anybody else, and they weren't even jokes; they were just words, lines, you know, concepts. You know, yeah, I got into his head. You know, we 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 were sharing a brain for a lot of years. You well, know, how, how did you wind up going from a guy who's a comedian to the Howard Stern show full time as the head writer? <clears throat> it was it was so organic that it's hard to explain. Like I went in there and sat in there with them for for a radio show. Where they, he, they called me up and said, "Listen, we're doing a talent contest over the phone. We listen to your records. We think you're really funny. Would you like to come in?" And I said, sure. You know, I was in my mother's attic when I answered the phone, <laughs> right, you know. Right, So I went in, and I sat, it, I sat there, and it was me, Howard, Robin, and Fred, the same as the last day I was on the show. Mm-hmm. And we sat there and laughed our asses off for four hours. And at the end of the day, he looked over at me and said, man, you're a lot of fun. Why don't you come in next week? So I came in once a week for three years for free. But slowly but surely, I would, like, hand him some ideas. The first kind of things I, hand, I handed him were ideas that we had. It was a traffic reporter called uh, Mama Look a Boo Boo Day. Right, I remember it. Who was yep. a, who was a black, uh, right. black uh, traffic reporter in right. a helicopter, and he did it with a megaphone. You know, I gave him some obnoxious stuff that, you know, in the black voice, and he, he like, was kind of weird about taking it, and then he really loved it. And then slowly but surely, I would, like, kind of hand him ideas but it was so gradual. By the end of the three years, I had, you know, he got fired and then got rehired. And when he got rehired, I still was coming in one day a week and still slowly but surely hand him stuff. And then one day he called up and said, listen, uh, we're going to morning starting on Monday. And Kurt, this is what's so funny. In all the millions of dollars I made and as many markets as we're in and as huge as the radio show was, my entire job description, he called me up and said, listen, we're going, on, uh, we're going mornings on Monday. I want you to come in two days a week, 
and do your thing with the notes. That was my entire job right. description. That's right. as much as we ever discussed it. We started on Monday. I was there for two days a week, slipping him notes, and he was much funnier when I was there. So I went to three to four. Within like two months, I was there five days a week. They had to expand the budget. And uh, by, I would say, May of 1986, I was there five days a week. In August, uh, we syndicated to Philadelphia and Washington, and then we went to Pluto. And Just you- went to Pluto. And did you, you know, did you enjoy it the whole? I mean, we'll talk about the end in a couple minutes. But did you enjoy? No, I, I enjoyed every second of every day, every even even when they were torturing me. You know, there was ups and downs, but it was like, it was the it, it the what really was hard was was how hard it was on your life. You didn't have a life outside because it was just you were exhausted all the time. Sure, I do. My my show six a same same six a to to, to uh, ten a every day. You're. Your life and by, people by, don't understand. By, Unless by, they're right. doing it, they don't understand. By Thursday, by Thursday, you're you're a puddle. You know, you just well, you, you, you know can't even think. I I didn't have it together to go to sleep and well, take right. a nap. Yeah, you have to do that. You know what's really funny is here I am making all this money, and I would have still been there if I had it together to take a nap. But I couldn't take a nap, and now I'm 68 years old, and all I want to do is take a nap. <laughs> when I wake up in the morning, I swear to God, the first thing I think about is when I'm going to get to lie down again. It seems to me, though, like you know, when when they got back, when when they, so you left, uh, whatever I think it was around 2001. There's some contract issues, whatever it was. It was obviously talked about a lot on the show. You left, and then you were gone for a while. And Howard really buried you when you left. I mean, he kind of kicked the shit out of you. I'm sure and it was. You know, it's so unfair. What it was was, imagine you had a job, mm-hmm. and you thought you deserved more money, and you sure. asked the boss for more money, and I, he said no, so I've you left. That. Right. That was the total. That was the total thing. It wasn't. I want more billing. I want a limousine. I want to be treated better. I want more credit. It was. I thought I deserved more money, and they did. Well, start how 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 a huge raise, a huge raise, right. but it wasn't what I wanted because I had drawn a line in the sand. It was like if I'm going to stay awake. You know, if I'm going to wreck my life for five more years, this is what I'd like to make. And I'm and I'm full of crap too, because a couple months later, I called up and said, "Listen, I'll take the offer that you made me." And they said no. And they they didn't say no. No. Oh, what they happened? They never responded. They never. They that's... never called back. Well, that's kind of saying no, Jackie. That's sort of the well, same it's thing. Well, saying no, but it's also pretty rude. I know. I agree with that. But Stern talks about it being, you know, mind blowing money. He couldn't believe you turned it down. I mean, is it? Are we talking? You know, a million dollars? You know what? I'm not telling you how much it was, but it's. I would say it's probably one third what anybody thinks it was. In, in, I'll tell you, in the early nine, in the mid '90s, mm-hmm. I was making uh, uh, 300 grand, and I wanted 400 grand, and uh, I was holding out, and uh, nobody knew. And Dominic Barber called me up and said, "Jackie, what are you doing? You got to get back on that show. You know why are you holding out so?" And it, when I told him what we were talking about, he had to pull over. He I got to right. tell the whole you that's. I thought that I was making a million and a half I did. dollars and I, did. I was holding out yeah. for two and a half million dollars. When I told him it was, it was for an extra $100,000, he said, what is, is Mel out of his mind? What is he doing? They were about to lose, you know, and I, and I was. You know, and I was relatively important to the show. It depends on who you talk to. No, I, I agree that you were. And I, I would say, you know, so I'm on, I'm on a morning show I, uh, in, in Boston. And the show is really successful, does really well. 
It's in a couple, you know, we're in Providence and we're in Portland and we do well in, in several markets. I just and, have to tell you how much I love Boston. I was just yeah. up there for the weekend last weekend yeah. and I love it. And I, I make it. and I make a, a damn good living. I, I if you're and how many markets did you say you were in in 95 and 96, 96? We were in 55 markets. And number one in a lot of them, right? Yeah, you know, they, they were printing money. That's wild. And, and, you know, the amount of money I was asking for, I didn't ask for so much money. Like, like if somebody says, do you want to work in Alaska? You don't say no. You say, I want $100,000. That way, if they pay you that much money, you're going to go to all that hassle. Right. You know, you don't say no. But I just, I, I gave them a figure that was absolutely fair. But I was the only one on that show that ever asked for more. No, everybody just takes what they're handed. Well, not Howard. Even Stern back then? No, no, no. He, you know, he, you know, he, the point is he, got, he gets it all, you know. And he deserves, listen, he deserves everything he has. And I never had any animosity towards that. But just share a little bit of it. You know, what I was asking for, like, you know, some listener did some kind of thing that they wrote, like, if you gave Jackie X amount, it'd be like one penny out of, you know, you know, one of those comparisons. Right. But, you know, it, it was so weird. They really hung me upside down and cut my guts out for just, you know, for asking for more money. Now, so, so you left and, and then, you know, when they came back to see you were on the last, you know, right before they left Terrestrial, they went to Sirius and you were kind of in the mix for a while. You were in studio a couple of times. You were at a couple of roasts. You were having a good time. And then you went away. I feel like there's been another falling out. Is that accurate? No, they they just they just didn't call me anymore. You know, like the last time I was on, uh, Gary called up. I guess Robin had a book out, and they asked me to read from Robin's book. And you know, and I went in. I and I had a good time in there. You know, I guess they just have nothing to say to me, or I, who knows? You know, but it wasn't like a like something happened. Don't you, you find know, that odd, though? Like, you worked with these guys forever, every day. I know what it's like when you're in the middle of a radio show, every day, and then to be totally cut out. Like, do you talk to to Howard at all, ever off the it, air? Now, listen, I worked with the guy 18 years, and then he didn't invite me to his wedding. Now, do that math. Just do that math. You know, we're talk- he's, he's an odd guy. But if he wa- you know, but I don't hold that against him because if he wasn't the kind of guy he is, he wouldn't be the guy he is. Do you know what I'm saying? Sure, but do you buy this, you know, obviously you were, you were on the podcast with Artie. I'm sure you've paid attention to Artie lately. He was on my podcast. He was critical of Howard. I mean, do you buy this idea that there's this sort of new figure in his life, this Marcy Turk, and that he's changed and he's sort you know, of— You I know, hear, I hear everything. You know, I hear everything because everybody thinks I'm so interested, and I— that whole thing just really has me boondoggled, like uh, how it came about and all that stuff. It just sounds so weird. I, am I totally shocked? No, but you know, what the hell's going on? And you don't. And everything that happens just happens because nobody says anything. You know what I mean? What do you mean by that? And nobody says, "Hey, are you sure we should do this? Or do you really want to do this?" It's you know. I, you know, what? I can't comment it because I'm not there and I don't know anything. Well, do you listen? You know, do, you, do you listen to the show now? I, I I didn't listen to the show before I was on it. I didn't listen to the show when I was on it, and I don't listen. I've never listened to ten seconds of the show. Is that ever. true? You've you've not listened to the show since you left. I never listen. You know, people. There's so many things about. I tell people that I I don't watch porn. They don't believe that. I tell people I don't enjoy strip clubs. They don't believe that. I tell people I don't listen to the show. They don't believe that. It's like I don't care, but that why? Oh, this, what's in it for me to lie? You know? No, I, I just find it sort of psychologically. It's interesting. You're part of something, you know, for 18 years, and then you can just walk away from it. I think is kind of interesting. 
you know, there's no upside. If it's funny, I'll feel bad. And if it's not funny, I'll feel bad. (laughs) Right, right, right. That's that's true. But you'll talk to Robin or Gary or Fred or anybody? Uh, Fred and I went to lunch a couple years ago. Uh, You know, it seems like yesterday, but it was like two years ago. And I had lunch with Robin maybe six months ago. You know, I mean, there's no animosity. You know, it's fine. But they just, it's like I'm just not part of them whatsoever. Yes. But I, you know, I don't get a lot of it. I, I had a show on, on Stern 101 right, for right. eight years. Yeah, Jackie's Joke Hunt. Yeah, and right. it was it was great fun. Everybody loved it. And then uh, one year, just before Thanksgiving, they pulled the plug on the show, and and me and my partner weren't invited to the Christmas party. But I guess, Jack, yeah. but Jack, I guess what I'm saying there is, so if I have a relationship with, my, with a guy I worked with who's a powerful guy who has his own two stations is making... Five hundred million. I've known for a long time. If that happens, I feel like I can at least pick up the phone and say, "Hey, can you put in a word?" And if you can't, and if it doesn't work out, fine. But can you at least do that for me? I feel like I've done enough for your career that you might want to do that no, for me. Is no, that... I'm, he's the one that pulled the plug on the show. Well, why? I I was never given any explanation. You didn't whatsoever. feel compelled to call him and ask? L- listen, me and my partner. We're on Sirius one on, on Sirius one hundred and one, Howard one hundred and one yep. for eight years. Yep. Okay. And then they had a Sirius XM event for Howard's sixtieth birthday. Right. Not only we were, were we on Sirius, we were on one of Howard's channels. Yep. And they threw him a sixtieth birthday party, and we were not invited to the birthday party. That's strange. Figure, that's, you know, that's, how do you how do you how do you deal with that? How what do you ask? That's, Who do you ask? That's, 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 you know, it's like it's so it's so slam in the face. You know, I really think I honestly think if he had a birthday party and one person came up to him and said, "Howard, man, it's really great to see Jackie again," that would wreck his day. Why is that? Do you think? I, I swear to God. Why do you think that? I I don't know. I, I I why would you not invite us? You know, we're part of a team. You know. <laughs> It is it is it is strange, but so but I mean yeah. But you know, the hard part is yeah, yeah. thirty people. Thirty people called me up and said, "Can I be your plus one at the sixtieth <laughs> birthday party?" And I had to tell them I wasn't invited, and my friends didn't believe me. Well, it was an odd <laughs> odd group of celebrities, and that's my listen. Nobody was a big and people say this to you, I'm sure all the time, but I was the biggest Stern fan going. You know, came on here at BCN in Boston, and I wrote it all the way. And now when I listen to Howard, and there's some things he still does really well. But he's just not the same guy that I liked 20 years ago. Now, that's part of getting older, I guess. But I don't want to sit there and listen yeah, and to Howard a Stern. Lot of people, a lot of people say it's so much better than it ever was. Right. Other people say right. it was right. never good. Right. With, people, people say it wasn't good after I left. People say it wasn't good after Billy left. You know, no, sure. everybody has Artie. their own opinion. Yeah, right. But I'd rather listen to them, you know, uh, I'd rather listen to Jackie Puppet break Conan O'Brien's balls than Howard talk to Sarah Jessica Parker about her acting process. I mean, that's, and, you know, that's just and, the... and you know, and everybody says that. Uh, not everybody, you know. A lot of people say that. Of course, the you know, you know, I, I people call you know write me. Ah, uh, you know, the Stern Show. Uh, it really became good the day you left. And sure, you know, and Artie, Artie was great. Artie was fantastic. But yeah, it's like uh, it's it's so funny that people are like uh, like I did Artie's podcast last night, and we're yeah. really good friends. We're going to do some shows together, which is going to be great fun. And, uh, but you know, people are like, oh, it's good to see you guys getting along again. People don't realize that I left the show in March. 
He didn't start on the show till eight months later. <laughs> right, there was right. no crossover whatsoever. Right. But here's nothing th- to do with each other. But here's the thing, though. I feel like with with Stern, whether it's you or John or Artie or Casey, it's just a listener of the show. It seems like nobody leaves well. It never ends well. Well, he's he's Trump. It's never his fault. What do you mean? It's you know, it's like you know, everybody you know. Billy West left because Billy they West. wouldn't pay him. Right. They wouldn't pay him. You know, I mean, it, it always comes down to money. You know, like, like they could have given me what I asked for and not, you know, and not even sneezed. You know what I mean? So who knows what. Uh, was it, was there a part of you, though, that, like, if you, you know, was did you look at it at the time and say, okay, fine, I'm not getting the money I want from, from K-Rock or, or, or from the company themselves, but. I make X amount more on the stand-up circuit because I'm on Stern. No, no, no. There was, there was no, there was no rationale to what I did. <clears throat> I was, um, I was stuck in my marriage. Right. I was stuck in booze. I was stuck in the show, and I was miserable. And I had to break the chain. And it was the, I, I, I got divorced, quit mm-hmm. the show, quit drinking, and moved into a house by myself, all at the same time. Right. And it was crazy, but that was the only thing I had to do. You know, I, I just, I, I didn't want to go on. You know, there were all kinds of factors. I knew if I stayed on the show, I was going to have to do a divorce that played out in front of millions of people. I wasn't sure. thrilled about that. You know, everybody's like, oh, Nancy left you after you lost your job. That's most, you know. Right. Man, she lives two doors away from me. I, you know, she's my best friend. You know what I mean? But we're, I was just stuck in a weird thing. And I knew I would never quit drinking, and I don't even know how much. There was no rationale. It was just like something where I said, you know what, I'm going to do this. If I get this money, I'll stay. If I don't, I'm leaving, and I'll deal with it then. Was there ever you know, a... I, if I had sat down, you know, I sit here once, once in a while. I look at my house and say, imagine if, this was, if I had $10 million, what my house would look like. Right. But I'd still be swimming in the Long Island Sound. I'd still be smoking a joint and right. having the time of my life like I was in the 70s. But, but, they, but is you know. But is that true? Was there a I mean, when you stopped doing the Stern show? Is there a you know? Does your stand up price go down? No, no, it was decimated. It was decimated. Uh, you know, I, I I make I make a fraction, not even a fraction of what I used to make. Yeah. But that's the that, that's you know I'm used to that. You know I made a, I, I told the jokes in 1979 for one price, and then I told them in 1994 for a different <laughs> price, and now I'm telling back for the 79 price. You know, that's how it works. It, uh, it, there was no calculating. You know, I wasn't calculating my career. I was, I, was, I was negotiating basically for my life, not my career. There was a point, you know, in, when I was growing up in the 80s, it seemed like there was a comedy. It seemed like the explosion, right? There was a stand-up comedy club in every city in America or oh, two well, or I'll three. Talk, there were none. Right, there were none right. in 1979, and we created the Eastside Comedy Club on Long Island and yeah. then Governors and the Brokerage. And in the few years that I was working at those places, it it blossomed to where it was it was it became a glut. Yeah, you know. But now it feels like now it feels like we're sort of, you know, not where we were forty or thirty years ago. But it feels like there's a lot less than there were say twenty years yeah, ago. Yeah, it kind of leveled out. You know, I tell people like in the seventies, if you turned on the TV and you saw a stand-up comedian, you locked. On that state, you just sat on that station and watched. Right in the eighties, if you turned on a TV and saw a stand-up comedian, you couldn't turn the channel fast enough. It's true. It's you know true. what I mean? It just it went one hundred and eighty. You know. 
Do you, what but, do you, you think? Know, it, it's been an incredible ride. I, you know, I love it. You know, and you still, and you're still. Where, where are you going to be? Like, say, you're going to be when you're in the Boston area again. When can we see Jackie, uh, the Joker well, man in Boston? I'll tell you one thing that kills people is uh, I just got a book deal, and the guy, the agent for my book, told me the first phone call he ever made as a little kid on Long Island was to my dirty joke line. <laughs> <laughs> I've had 516-922-WINE since 1979 when we first started comedy clubs. Yeah. You know, when we first started that comedy show at that restaurant, we uh-huh. had no money, so I made a joke line with dirty jokes, and I've had it going for 37 years. Jesus. 37 years. Jesus. And, uh, and I still have my joke land uh, email list. I send jokes, and I tweet a joke every day at 420. Yep. At Jackie Martling, if any of you listeners like dirty jokes. Absolutely. Stupid jokes. I follow you. Yep. At Jackie Martling. And uh, I was just in Boston. We did comedy for a cause mm-hmm. uh, at in uh, Plymouth. I saw oh, Plymouth yeah. Rock. Yeah, that right. was very exciting. <laughs> oh, Lenny was there, right? Yeah. Lenny Clark and me are dear, dear old friends. And then the next night I did his brother's club, Giggles in Saugus. Uh-huh. And, uh, Johnny Peasy's club, Laugh Out Loud, up in North Andover. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Boston. My last album was recorded at Giggles, and one of my albums in the 90s was recorded at the Comedy Palace in Andover, which was not a palace. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it is not. It is not. No, is not. and uh, I should be back in Boston very soon. I work all over Connecticut, you know, um, but, you know, my, my, my gigs are very, very varied, you know, and, and I love that. Yeah. You know, like this this weekend, I'm I'm working a private party for stupid money for some. You know, the fans from the '80s are a lot of them are now rich. Right, they're older. Know? Right, they're in their money making years now. Right, right. And uh, and I'm working at Han Yonkers, and then uh, then where am I going? I'm uh, you know all over the place. All Excellent. Over the place. Excellent. Well, yeah, I appreciate you coming on, Jackie. And uh, I still I'm still holding out hope that I'm going to hear you on with uh, with Howard sometime soon. You know, it's really weird. I, I don't know what's going on there, you know, but it, it, it's as simple as he could call me up one day and say, well, hey, why don't you come in tomorrow? I mean, it could happen, you know, like it's not going to, yeah, but it could, you know, it's it's very interesting, you know. It is. All right, well, Jack, it's again. It's funny because if he mentions my name on the air. It blows up, right? I'll get 10 phone calls. Five of them will say, Howard was talking such nice stuff about you. And the other five people say, Howard was talking crap about you. And they're listening to the same thing. The friggin', uh, uh, Jackie Puppet was the greatest, though. That episode with fucking Conan, when the Jackie Puppet was destroying Conan, and Conan was melting in studio with Billy West, was unbelievable. You know, if you, if you follow the timeline, go follow the timeline and see if Trump, the insult dog, didn't come directly out of that appearance. Oh, Follow right. the timeline. That's interesting. I never thought of that. With Smigel, you well, think he... I think those guys listen. I said, listen, that puppet can say anything. You can't get <laughs> mad at the puppet. You know, I'm not saying they... I mean, it's a very obvious idea. It's the idea, you know... Right. You know, Edgar Bergen's puppet could insult people. You know, right. Charlie McCarthy could say anything. Right, you know? right, right. And the gar- it, right. Yeah. But, do you, but there must be part of you that misses the, the day-in, day-out breaking balls part oh, of no, that show. no, no, no. I tell people I don't miss the money or the fame or any of that. Any nowhere's near as much. The thing that you miss is for five days a week, for five hours a day, I was in a room with the funniest people in the world, and we just laughed for five hours. 
You missed that. I'm, I couldn't believe how much I missed that. And you you just don't have that in real life. You couldn't go wrong. You know, once in a blue moon, you're in the green room with three other comedians right. laughing your asses off. <laughs> right. I had that five days a week for 15 years. And you, you were know? the greatest because, you know, it would be like whatever, 945 or something, and the show was kind of slowing down. And Robin would say something, or and Fred or Howard would do the Jackie voice, and then they'd be off to the races, and they would just break your balls for a half hour. Oh, it was, you know, and and you know what people really want? People used to say to me, how do you let him say what he says to you? And I say, listen, try and wrap your brain around this. A lot of the insults that he said to me, I wrote. You wrote, right. You would write now, them. And people can't conceive of that. It's like Curly saying, Mo, why don't you hit me now? Right. You know? right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jack, I appreciate it. And let us know. Uh, tweet out next time you're in Boston. We'll definitely uh, make sure people go out and see us, as always. Well, do me a favor. Make sure your guy uh, sends me a street address, and I'll send you a pile of Jokeland stuff. And, and next time in Boston, maybe I'll call in. and uh, Absolutely. We yeah, we'll bring you in. That's awesome. All right, Jack. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you, buddy. Bye-bye. See you. All right, thanks again for listening to the Enough About Me podcast. Actually, you know what? I'm really not thankful at all. You should be thanking me. You get this shit every week, these great podcasts, totally free. Do me a favor. Would you go to iTunes, download it, go to Stitcher, do the same, and leave a rating, leave a review. That's where you can help me out. This podcast is going to be number one again, I guarantee it, and you're going to help me along with the process. So for that, I guess at the end, maybe I will thank you. There's a lot of thank yous going back and forth. Here's the point. Fuck you. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.